Welcome back to our Innovation in Energy podcast series. I'm Liz Hunt, the Energy and Resources Sector Leader at PwC UK. Today, we are spotlighting a critical issue in the energy transition, skills and diversity. And to tackle this topic, I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Burley, CEO of Ofgem, and Gemma Carr, PwC's Workforce Services Lead for the Energy Sector. Welcome to you both. Jonathan, we met at the Powerful Women's State of the Nation event earlier this year, which is an annual research project that looks at female representation in the energy sector. I think we both know that from the research that was done, there's still quite a long way to go. But of course, diversity is also about a much wider set of metrics. So having had the pleasure to moderate that panel discussion and a really fascinating and robust discussion at the time, um, it was great to hear how passionate you are about this topic. And I'm thrilled to be able to continue the conversation today with you and Gemma. So flying in the face of diversity, I'm going to actually start with our guest, if that's okay, Gemma. So Jonathan, turning to you, um, I know that diversity is a topic really close to your heart personally and professionally. Yes. Um, Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about that, please? Sure. I mean, I should start by saying when I started this role in 2020, it was one of my personal top priorities. Um, And in a sense, when I look at myself, I fit the exact stereotype of a senior energy executive. I am newly 50. I am white and I am male. So and I went to Oxbridge. So that pretty much ticks all the boxes. But when you look at the experience I've had, particularly over the last 10 years, but actually over the last 30 years, there are many times I have seen directly the impacts that different environments can have on different people. So I have a mixed race marriage. My wife is a British Bengali woman and we have two children who have very, very different backgrounds. They were both born through surrogacy processes and born in other countries. So one of my children was born in Delhi and indeed one of my children was born in Kiev in Ukraine. So if you think about our family, there is a huge amount of difference there. And More often than you think, we have to navigate that difference when we talk as a family, but also when we navigate that difference when we talk to people around us. Now, living as I do in a lovely country village in Buckinghamshire, um, those differences sometimes can be apparent. And it is surprising to me to continually learn how small things that people do around you can have a very big impact on all of us. Now, over and above that, my son last year, unfortunately, had a disease that meant we had to carry out a really difficult operation for him so he lost his right eye and now wears a prosthetic so once again seeing how he is managing at four years old in a world where he is frankly different to other children is something that we're thinking about right now now take that into the sector that we work in take that into all the things that we've got to do the truth is all our customers have diverse needs all our customers come from different backgrounds and all our customers needs to be understood in a certain way in the way we treat them and over above beyond that we all run big organizations and those organizations have different people inside them so if i take my personal experience but i match that to the stories i hear from within offgem and across the sector there's a lot for us to do to create the right environment for the people around us thank you very much it's a really um really interesting to hear your personal experiences and actually um i um when I was younger, one of my cousins was adopted uh, from Malaysia, actually. And I remember asking my aunt and uncle at the time, why have you stayed in London? Surely, you know, that makes it more difficult. And they said, oh, no, no, it makes it easier because the diversity is less obvious. The difference yes. is, is is much more sort of part of daily life. Um, and so that really resonated with me, actually. Um, we, You touched there on sort of the diverse needs of our customers, of your customers or, or the sector's customers. Um 
and clearly you know, we've got a huge journey to go on with energy transition um, and a need to accelerate. So how important is that diversity in, in our own sort of in, um, workforce in, in, the, in the sector in terms of driving that, that and accelerating that, that transition journey? Well, I mean, let's have a think about what we're trying to do. You know, if I, if I articulate off Jim's role or indeed the role of the whole sector, we have to look after customers today. They have been through the most difficult period in energy history, in my view, certainly in recent energy history. And people have very, very different needs from the system that provides them with a basic essential good. In addition to that, over the next 20 years, we're going to have to persuade people to make huge changes to the way they drive, to the homes they live in, and indeed to the way they interact with the system around themselves. Now, if you don't have an understanding of the different groups that are involved, or at least the capacity within your broader team to be empathetic to the different approaches people will have, I'm not optimistic that we can deal with people's needs today or persuade people to make the changes we need for the future. And I might just take a story outside the energy industry, actually, to, to illustrate that. So I read recently uh, someone who is a legend in the civil service, Jeremy Hayward's biography. And his wife wrote a biography after, sadly, he passed away quite early. And she described how he found out that there was a particular incident within the Muslim community that became a serious national problem. And he realized when he looked across the civil service, he had no one that had an understanding or that background to be able to turn to at a senior level. And a bit like me, that's what drove him to think, actually, he can't do his job as the head of government delivering for the population, the diverse population that we have, because he simply doesn't have enough understanding of the difference that might be there. Now, we have to be realistic and pragmatic. We can't have every difference in every senior team and every organisation. But if you don't have diversity of background, gender diversity, or diversity of thought within your team, and something that really sort of preoccupies me, both disability and socioeconomic background, then I think it's very hard to see how you can anticipate what different, where different groups will come from and what needs to be done. So for me, coming back to this question of, you know, what skills do we all need, both at leadership level and in teams? If we don't have diversity in the teams, we won't have the ability to adapt in a wet hub that's very way to very hard to train for any other way. Gemma, and perhaps turn to you. Um, it, you work with many of our leading companies in the sector, um, and so you've got seen up close and personal some of the challenges that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the biggest challenges that mm -hmm. they struggle with? You think with regards to both skills and diversity? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Liz. And Really interesting, a lot of the points that the Jonathan raised, I, I hear from a lot of our clients. So, you know, that di need for diversity of thought um, and that need for that range of skills, both in leadership and throughout the organisation, is absolutely critical. Um, one thing I hear a lot from clients is the challenge in attracting key talent into the industry, whilst also retaining and motivating their existing workforce, because the needs are different and what they're looking for in their employer is different. Um, and I think about the power utility sector in particular facing you know, a lot of challenges in building new skills, um, whether ESG skills, green skills, and that technological capability. Um, and that needs new individuals into the workforce. It may even need some reskilling and, and kind of different ways to, to look at it. And we're really hearing clients think about identifying those skills gaps and, and how to fill them and, and that attracting um people into the into the industry and sector is, is so critical um but in a recent blog you wrote liz i mean you talked about the value that that new talent can bring and how enormous that is but retaining the talent is essential to making diversity a reality 
And so businesses having to create that environment where everyone, no matter their differences, can thrive. And I think that's a real challenge. And I think it particularly pertinent to this industry, given, given the challenges we face in the energy transition going forward. I think also just um, to looking out to other industries, I think it's a really good point. You know, I think that's something that the energy sector could, could be doing. I mean, you know, we look at some um, sectors that have really made strides in terms of their, their diversity challenges and responses. Um, and even in PwC, Liz, I mean, we've done a lot of work around that, you know, our focus around social mobility as, as one of the diversity lenses and ensuring equal opportunities there um, and, and, and lots of other uh, other angles to it. I think sectors like like energy, power and utilities can look outward more to other industries that have faced this and just learn from those as we move forward. So what can these companies do to really engage their employees, bearing in mind that some of us who are in those leadership positions are, are quite a long way removed from from, from the, the generation that's coming through? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a really good question and and one we are, we are helping clients grapple with. I think... Uh, up front and foremost, we would always say having a clear purpose and a clear people value proposition is so important. What do you stand for as an organisation and what matters to you? Uh, and we're really seeing the power of that in terms of attracting individuals in, into the into the industry. But um, I think alongside that, the industry will need to carefully and actively manage skills across the workforce and really think about that with the diversity lens on it. So if we think about attracting people into the workforce whilst retaining and motivating key talent, you know, looking at technology, looking at things like reward and recognition and benefit offerings and how to tailor those, um, that's going to be really important. And we know that, you know, a lot of uh, employees in this um, sector are actually looking to, to move and change employer. Potentially our hopes and fears survey said 30% may be looking to leave. So, so there is something about thinking around, around how to how to retain um, those individuals and attract them in. Um, reskilling is, is a key piece of that as well. You know, the existing employees, part of that engagement, what kind of skills might they need in the future? How can we support employees and the workforce to, 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 to reskill and consider those newer capabilities? And then also just thinking about the broader people agenda, you know, whether that's thinking about partnerships and alliance across the supply chain to fill some of those some of those skills needs um that 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 i think all, all of those angles are, are going to be key and and they all need to be thought about quite quite differently and carefully but overall i think that that purpose and the company's kind of own um role to play in the energy transition are so critical to get across externally yeah it's really interesting and i think um i um, I don't know if you've heard the, uh, Greg Jackson from Octopus speak, but when you hear him speak about the company, the business they've built, um, one of the things that struck me about it was that he doesn't talk about it as an energy company. He talks about it very much as a tech company. And I think there's very much a tendency to think about everything the way it's always been for the last 20 years. Yeah. And, and that is all going to change so so significantly and so quickly. I think the pace of change is, is fascinating as well. Jonathan, in a world where CEOs have, you know, very, very much on their plate and a huge amount of sort of volatility and other things to be to be thinking about, where do they really need to focus their efforts to, to bring about meaningful progress on, on the diversity agenda and the skills agenda? And what's what are the priorities you think? So I think you've got to start with the basics. I mean, it comes back to the, the point that you made that we um we need to be both clear about purpose and clear about our intent. And there is a lot CEOs can do across the sector to make sure that they are visibly supporting the, the sorts of things we're talking about here. Because it is quite easy for organizations to slip back into the way they've always behaved and 
for this to be treated as somehow a peripheral issue. But you need to set yourself fairly clear goals. You know, if we did anything else, we would hold ourselves to account for the changes that we're going to make. So Ofgem has got, for example, very clear targets on gender diversity, racial diversity. We are not as good on things like social mobility or disability or sexuality yet, partly because we don't, we find that harder to get the data to be able to make progress on that. But what's striking to me is where we have given ourselves goals, we're making pretty good progress. So we clearly have a 50-50 gender goal. We're up to, in our senior team, so we're called the Senior Civil Service, we have about 45% women up from just over a third. So we are making progress where we hold ourselves to account. And we shouldn't forget that all of us in our day jobs do this sort of more naturally. Um, second thing I think you need to do is have a really good hard look at your organization and your systems and processes. So, you know, you mentioned, for example, looking to other sectors. Now, when we are recruiting, are we recruiting from our own kind? Are we recruiting people, A, who look like us, but also are from within the industry itself that isn't diverse? And come back to the point about Octopus and companies like the retailers in general. If you think about this transition in the last 30 years, quite frankly, it has 20 years. It's all a bit about what happens at the back end. You know, it's already been about building stuff that's a bit different from the stuff we built before, but putting it down a wire. And your house, my house, and everyone's house hasn't really changed that much. The car we drive hasn't changed that much. And the way we heat our homes hasn't changed that much. The next 20 years are going to be completely different. And they're going to require a completely different set of skills. So you mentioned Octopus describing themselves as a tech company. We are going to need the most sophisticated customer interaction, personal design, that allows people to get into this complicated world in an easy and intuitive way. I mean, if you look at your iPad and you think about how easy that is to operate, if your heating system isn't that easy when it's doing all this stuff to switch on and off when the wind is blowing, then this simply won't work for customers. So for me, all of us have a huge, deep talent pool that is outside this sector we can bring in. And then finally, I do think, I think this is really important, think about the environment you're creating for the people that work within your organization. So I think it's sometimes very easy to focus on who comes in and who's in which place, but also what environment are you creating? What sort of culture are you setting as both leadership and teams? And how do you make sure that different groups of people feel comfortable inside your organization? And again, if I were to give one example, I've, I've done reverse mentoring a number of times now, and I was remember being really shocked because Ofgem and I see Ofgem as a kind of typical, fairly liberal place where people generally should feel comfortable and I was quite shocked when one team member who with a Somalian background told me the sort of things that had been said to her some of them in jest some of them in kindness of sorts um, but to give you a scale of the impact of the things that were said to her she'd simply chosen no longer to socialize with her team now off chairman like most of this industry and certainly the future of this industry is all about people and intellectual capability and creativity you will not get there if you have team members that feel like that. And in a world where we have so much need for new thinking and new talent, that is going to be too big a drag on our performance. So all of us have to reflect not only on the kind of the bits that I like, the targets, the processes and everything else, but how do we create, make sure we're creating the right environment for people? And as I say, I do think that different generations, as you mentioned, want different things. And that needs to be brought together inside an organization. And that is that's really interesting it's drawing together two of the the sort of themes that you've brought out there one on kind of how do we make the the, the tech um really easy and really intuitive yes. for the customers to use but also this is going to be about people and right. and how people make an organization 
Um, just thinking about some of the some of the developments we're facing now around AI, I'd be really curious to get your thoughts on how would we address those challenges? What are the opportunities that AI brings um, with your employees? But also, what are the steps people should be taking to familiarise themselves, upskill, get comfortable with the fact that this sort of a, <laughs> a slightly slightly scary <laughs> thing is out there? Yes. Well, look, we spent, uh, funnily enough, a great deal of time in, in the recent board meeting on this where we've begun to examine what this means for us and what this means for the industry as a whole. I, I suppose, you know, one way to look at this and one way to think about this is it allows you to do some of the things you need to do a lot more effectively and it should free up your time for your people to spend their time on value add. I know we talk about AI, but even some of the better data practices, you know, the less glamorous, sort of less scary stuff can make a huge difference to an organization like Ofgem that processes a lot of stuff for people. Now, as long as reg- as well as regulating, we are administering all those government schemes that send out the wall home discount, that put insulation in your loft that's funded, that that's fund all these different renewable schemes. And a lot of that is quite process-based, quite manual and quite database. Well, if you can free up your teams to do the value add in those programs, so look at the impact this is having on stakeholders, to so look about how you can improve systems, look about how you better build the next system for the next scheme, rather than being preoccupied with the kind of functional stages, you'll create a much more rewarding and richer environment and a much more powerful organization. I think when we look out there, when we look about AI for the sector, there's lots of exciting opportunities, particularly when you think, for example, about how you target different treatment to different customers, particularly the most vulnerable. I am really keen that all of us work with the government, particularly with the Department for Work and Pensions, to make sure we can better tie together all the information about customer vulnerabilities with the needs they have and the ability for the sector to deliver against those needs. Last thing I would say is there's lots of good stuff about AI, but we have to understand that one of the concerns that's been raised to me is that all those biases that we have can quite well become embedded in the algorithms that we use. And so we need to be quite vigilant that we're not setting up a system that looks a bit like us. Yeah, I saw something wonderful about somebody who'd uh, graduated from Cambridge who'd written a recruitment program which was apparently free from unconscious bias and they found that something like 75% of the candidates that came for it were Oxbridge educators. So really, yeah, really interesting. Um, Gemma, perhaps just um, just to, to round up on that, is, it, is that, does that resonate with what we're seeing from our clients? Is that sort of how we're seeing some of our clients talk about um, AI in their businesses? Yeah, absolutely, Liz. I think um, I think with anything like this, it's um, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's a lot of opportunity as well. And it's just asking those initial questions about what does it mean for us as a business? And then what do we do about it when it comes to our, our people? So that's certainly my area. Um, but I will just touch on the hopes and fears survey we ran again because some of the stats we got from that around AI were really interesting with nearly 90% of employees in the energy sector not believing that AI will impact their jobs uh, and only a quarter of them saying that they believe AI will provide opportunities to learn new skills. So I think that feels a bit of a gap there. So I feel like there is something on a global level about um, it's great that employees don't feel that threatened by AI. But I think there's something about leaders bringing their people on a journey to educate them into the benefits and opportunities that AI can bring, certainly when it comes to customers and it comes to use of technology in the, in the customer experience. And of course, in tandem with that, business leaders themselves um, upskilling um, themselves in, in, the, in this emerging technology. Uh, and we know that technological capability um, is, is a worry for the sector as a whole. Um, so it comes with great opportunity and uncertainty, but I think it needs to be embraced. So 
we've had a really fascinating, very wide-ranging discussion. And I think probably I take away from it that, you know, there's a lot of recognition and willingness uh, to embrace the diversity. There's a recognition that we need to embrace that diversity if we're going to meet the challenges of the future. Um, and, and a lot of willingness to do so, um, with some challenges around how we might actually do that and practically. Um, but I'm going to end on a hopeful note because I've got my, my oldest is currently 12 and I had a very robust discussion with her last night right. about difference. And I, I do think we've got a generation coming through that see difference less acutely, I think, perhaps. And, and um, hopefully we'll sort of embrace that diversity much more organically than I think perhaps has come through um, the old, some older generation. So I'm hopeful for the future in that sense. I'm sure there'll be many more robust discussions in our houses. <laughs> Um, but look, that's it for another episode of our Innovation in Energy podcast. Thank you both so much, Jonathan and Gemma. It's been really fascinating. Loads of food for thought. Huge thank you to all of our listeners, of course. Uh, please subscribe to stay up to date. Um, and we look forward to the next robust discussion around this table. Thank Thanks you. So thank, thank you. you.